Blog Talk Radio. Delighted to welcome you all back after a little break last week. It is December 5th, 2017, and I hope that all of you are um, peacefully flowing into this season, however you view it, um, however you celebrate this time of year. Um, It's a beautiful time of year for all of us, and I know many of you are in other parts of the world other than the United States, and I welcome you, too, to this show. I so appreciate the expansiveness of this audience, and so wherever you are, I welcome you to this day and to this show. Today, I think you are really going to relate to the guests that I'm going to bring on in just a moment, because she has something very important to share with many of us. And it has been said many times that, you know, many times in our lives, there are times when therapy is helpful for us. And I am happy to raise my hand in saying that I experienced a time in my life as well when therapy was helpful for me. And those of us who have been down that path know that it can feel um, confusing and somewhat daunting um, given the choices that are available to us. And it can also be a challenge for family members. And there are so many different contexts in which this can occur. And today we are going to be talking with Kate O'Connell. Kate has a new book out called Beyond the Imprint, a new modality for mental health practitioners and those seeking their help. And what Kate has developed and been guided to explore here is how the fundamental nature of everything influences how we can develop a relationship with those who are there to help us and how those who are out there who are counselors and therapists, and Kate O'Connell is a licensed professional counselor. That's what LPC stands for. Um, And she does have a private practice in Charlottesville, Virginia. She has worked with people of all ages, and she helps with many different things. Um, And 
what she has brought forward is something that can help both those who um, are seeking help may not even know that some assistance could help them at a transition in their life. Um, For me, it was right after um, the birth of a child that I needed some assistance in, in that time in my life. And for other people, um, it can come up in so many different contexts, and for all of us, truthfully. So we are going to talk to Kate about this wonderful new Beyond the Imprint therapy that she has developed. Um, and she has a wealth of experience, and her website is O'ConnellKate.com. And I am so delighted to bring Kate onto the program. Hi, Kate. Hi. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about having this conversation today. Oh, well, me too. And you know what? I I was almost a little bit surprised in the introduction that I immediately personally connected to the topic because I realized in the introduction being in a position in our lives, whatever that point is, and it can come up for any of us at any time, really, um, where a therapeutic relationship can be of assistance to us is nothing, absolutely nothing to be hesitant to talk about. And that's why I chose to say it in the introduction because I personally relate to this topic and I know a huge majority of our listeners do too because, um, Kate, um, tell us, you know, out there in, in this vast audience, which is also throughout the world, I mean, how many of us may find ourselves in a position where a therapeutic relationship could help us at some point in our lives? Well, I believe that all of us could benefit from it. Yes. Um, (laughs) The question is, have we gotten to a place in which we are no longer defending ourselves and have the awareness that working on ourselves is key and paramount to self-healing? And through self-healing, we increase our awareness and therefore we become clear channels and we have more of a positive impact on everyone um, as we move through our experience. And, and you know what I love about this program sometimes is I feel, I feel my own um, defenses releasing a little bit more because it's a process, isn't it? And it's something um, in our culture, in Western culture in particular, I think that many of us have been given a view. We we are naturally defensive. I can feel it in myself, and I know you talk about this. And and it's it's a healing process, isn't it, to help us to to just flow into what can really help us throughout our lives. Absolutely, and the key is to become aware when we are defended, and to give yep. ourselves permission to not be. And of course, as you identified it, it is a process. And we could show up anywhere on the spectrum relative to how defended we are, given what our experiences have been since the moment of conception, which is what the modality beyond the imprint speaks to. Yes, yes. So let's start there, Kate. Well, actually, let's start with... um, how you came to develop this. I think we'll start there, and then I'd like to talk about human development and your way of viewing 
human development and how it, it impacts us. But how how did you come into this, Kate? You have a wonderful um, experience that you account for that, that um, when you were a child that, that occurred for you and such such amazing connectedness. Um, and could you just give us a glimpse of, of how you yourself flowed into to your own life and then eventually developing this? Yes, thank you for that. Um, it is a great question, and it is the perfect place to start, primarily because one of the central theses that I identify with this modality is that for those who do the work that I do, we cannot remove ourselves from the experience. And so if you are doing the work that I'm doing, you have to be aware. And you can't be unconscious relative to what you bring to the whole experience of facilitating healing for the other. So it does begin with me being conceived, being born, being raised in the middle-class suburbs of Toronto. And from every perspective would have appeared to be the idyllic uh, childhood of the 1960s and 70s. But, you know, we all are imprinted at the moment of conception, which is where I'd want to start in terms of inheriting all of the memories of our, my respective DNA lineages. And then depending on mom's stress levels, in the first environment that we're implanted in, we absorb through the limbic brain, the first part of the brain to develop, which just takes in sensations, whether or not we're safe being physical. As we begin the experience of being physical, then we come into the environment, and then depending on how conscious or unconscious our parents are relative to their unconscious imprinting, we are then imprinted from the experiences we have in relationship with them, our siblings, and then as we go out into the world, what we're exposed to relative to feeling safe or unsafe. And all of this is encoded in the 50 trillion cells of our body. So I was the third child of three children in um, an Irish Catholic home growing up in Toronto. And I had an experience when I was 12 that was a significant trauma that had me on the other side negotiating the terms of coming back, as I like to describe it. But the interesting part of that was that that experience was only revealed to me as the years unfolded as a dawning awareness. So as I I grew, as I developed, as I navigated what I was navigating, I started to remember that experience of being on the other side. And after having this trauma, I manifested a very aggressive autoimmune disorder that had a very sort of uh, significant prognosis in which the doctors had identified I'd be in a wheelchair by the time I was 18. So I was deeply immersed in the allopathic model of healthcare, And it was very detrimental to my well-being because I started to have a significant amount of side effects to a lot of medication that I was being given, which then started me on a much more holistic search and path in terms of health and well-being that then just evolved into a spiritual uh, path and awareness. So the mind-body awareness for myself uh, was the mind-body-spirit was very gradual in terms of its development. And um, I was married, I had a child, Uh, we had moved down to Richmond, Virginia, 
And I was being drawn to more and more spiritual pursuits at, that had me aware that um, the marriage that I was in at the time was not going to support my expansion. And so we parted company, and it was amicable, and I moved up to the Adirondacks and began to study with a Cherokee medicine woman and shaman and did that for five years in which I was very much immersed in the understanding of energy and energy medicine and and how to facilitate healing in that capacity. And then I had the awareness that there was only a very small part of the demographic that would access this type of healing. So I, I was very drawn to be sort of able to reach more people and then that translated into a master's degree in psychology when I was 43 and then moved back to Charlottesville, Virginia, where I began my, to develop my clinical persona. And once becoming licensed, I was able to start a private practice. And at that point, I gave myself permission to synthesize all of my training. And from all of that came this modality. Yes, yes. You know, Kate, there are so many aspects of your own personal experience that I know many of us, and I personally can relate to this as well, is um, what what I discovered and what I see in what you reveal here is um, what occurred for me during a traumatic part of my life was my own awakening. It was the process of my own awakening, and I was surrounded by a a culture that was not supportive of our our awakening <laughs> really and and what that transition can be like and so um one of my personal feelings as well is and that I feel you address is um first of all you talk about um you know our our minds and our bodies are not separate <laughs> I mean that that that's so important to you know how how all of we are an integrated being energetically and and also how we can be assisted with the awakening process and often the constructs that are around us are not equipped to properly handle and assist with what a spiritual awakening truly looks like um, and and then help people successfully then launch into really the joyful aspects beyond that the 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 parts that that were meant to flow and I wouldn't have this show Kate at all I, I never was a spiritual person out in the open it would not exist if not for that transition I went through. So anyway, I feel there are many out there who have had similar transitions and have had to get their lives in a place that are supportive of that. Yes, and a big part of that mechanism in order to have that experience is to acknowledge these aspects of yourself that have been split off essentially in response to earlier trauma. And yes. so the big, what's so radical about this modality is that it takes us beyond the conditioning that we've all been at the effect of for the last 400 or so years uh, that I refer to as the dualistic paradigm in which we are, without realizing it, conditioned to look outside of ourselves for, in order to get our needs met. 
and it sets and it sets us up for all of the dysfunctional relationships that we participate in with significant other with our children with our parents and it's all happening unconsciously and it's very much being reinforced by the culture and the conditioning that comes with it and so what i talk about is there's uh, as as you've already sort of hinted at is in talking about this modality there's probably uh even more ways to talk about it than I have even been able to identify because it appears that every time I do, I talk about it just slightly different with a slightly Uh different emphasis on what we want to talk about. So you had earlier mentioned about development. And so one of the ways we talk about this after I've already identified what actual imprinting is and that the imprinting is the memory and it's in the body, it's not in the mind. So that's the first radical statement relative to our yes. conditioning from the age of reasoning is that the memory is actually in the stored in the body and the feeling that we had at the time around it is also very much flash frozen around that memory. So the narratives that we make up about our experiences end up being our largest defense mechanisms because they never truly accurately connect us to what the actual experience was like at the time. So we're always, that's actually what we're defending without even realizing it. So the idea is, is that from the moment of conception, we have as a birthright every reason to expect that our needs will be met. But that doesn't happen for any of us. And it's always showing up on, to some extent on a large spectrum of what that looks like. And so unconsciously what we're always attempting to do as we get older and as adults as we're choosing these relationships, is to get our needs met by the other unconsciously in a way that they were never met before, and that will always show up in a very compensatory nature. So it has a a lot of energy around it in terms of what our expectations Uh are, in terms of what we require of the other person. And then another major theme would be to just acknowledge that we are developing from the moment of conception and that there are behaviors that show up in these different stages of development that are developmentally appropriate. But unfortunately, what started to happen is that we started pathologizing behaviors at much earlier ages as indicative of something being wrong with the child or adolescent, and we're now primarily responding with uh, what I refer to as chemical restraints with medicating our children. So I I talk a lot about we have to stop doing this. We have to acknowledge why it's happening. And there's a lot written in the book about this. And to start just being wider and more accepting in ways that we haven't been in the last, I would say, 50 years even in terms of how this has been unfolding in this field. Yes. Yes. Kate, you know, something that I think so many of us have observed, and whether it's parents or within relationship to ourselves, and even just hearing what's out there in the popular media, it's getting to the point, Kate, where you cannot be a human being without being pathologized. Um, Basically, every emotion we feel um, if someone is going through grief, well, almost instantaneously someone's there with a pill um, or somehow saying, you know, well, that, that isn't normal for you to be going through this process. And, and so many different aspects that, that um, 
especially with with our children too. I mean, it, it's very troubling, and we need a, a paradigm shift, which which is what yes. you speak of, and we. We need this paradigm shift for us to go productively forward because our society has become toxic in this way. Um, it is like restraints for everyone, and yes. and it's not. It is not compatible with what is real. Right, that's an interesting word. <laughs> <laughs> because I've learned in the work Isn't that it? I do that everybody has their own version of what that is, including um, the physicians who who believe that uh, medicating our children w- with cocktails, not just one medication, yeah, exactly, but cocktails of medication, and what nobody's telling the parents is that there are no longitudinal studies out there. There are none that have not been funded by the pharmaceutical companies showing us that there are no negative impacts on the developing brain. They don't exist. And what we now know is that the pharmaceutical companies are actually in the business now of creating the disease and that they, so they then can create the medication to market for it. And ADHD is one perfect example of that. And it's all in the book as to how that all unfolded. And so we have been unconsciously conditioned to be more and more afraid of what's happening outside of us. And as a result of that, we are responding from our own imprinting that had us feeling unsafe at the time and having our survival hanging in the balance. And so anything in our environment that has stimulus that touches in on that will have us become activated and fearful and anxious and therefore being far more easily manipulated to follow certain protocols that, are, um, that negate us at the deepest level. And that's what's occurring. And so I work with people to help them just become more aware of the experience that they're having and to bring what they're participating in at the unconscious level to their conscious awareness and empowering them to understand that they have far more, far more ability to actually create a very different experience for themselves. And that is when the shift starts to occur. You know, Kate, I have a simple question for you, which I think you'll, you'll be able to answer very readily, but I want to ask it in this way. Sure. Is, how much does someone telling you this is your problem, you will never get over this unless you do this, help create the problem, <laughs> whether that's oh, 100, physical 100%. or, you know, and, so-called and it's, mental, it's, you know, that, yeah, that just having, and when it's not really connected to the healing aspect oh that is such a very insightful question you nailed it and it really speaks Uh to why my favorite demographic to work with is adolescents and more than 90 percent of therapists out there refuse to work with them and the ones that do are really relying on 
medication as an intervention. And so what you just asked, exact, it correlates perfectly to the adolescent experience because by the time, unfortunately, by the time I get to have a kid sitting in front of me, they've already been to three or four therapists. They're already yeah. on medication. And I'm the first person that they've sat with who has reflected back to them that there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Absolutely yes. nothing. That yes. if they are struggling, then there is a reason why they're struggling. And we don't yes. look at them and pathologize them because they're uncomfortable with the fact that, I don't know, mom has a substance abuse problem or what they're being asked to do academically is unreasonable or, I mean, I could just go on and on and on. But if your child is struggling, then it will absolutely show up in the behaviors. But what happens is, is that traditional therapy focuses exclusively on the behavior and eradicating the behavior when, in fact, the behavior is the most important thing for us to be paying attention to because all it is doing is broadcasting uh, to the world that this kid, this adolescent is struggling. So we want to go underneath and we want to figure out what is causing the struggle, what has this child feeling completely out of integrity with themselves, what has this adolescent being completely out of alignment with themselves. And when you find that out, Everything changes, and you, and you know, there's no need to medicate them. It's incredible yeah. to see the shift, and it's a very, very quick shift. So, I'm doing what what gets parents' attention, despite how defended they might be when they come in, is I promise them that if I get to sit with their kids for a, every week for eight weeks, that they will have a different kid, and if that doesn't happen, then they can have their money back. And no one's ever wow. asked me for their money back. You know, as as I reflect with you, Kate, I have to say that um, it's refreshing that we're talking honestly about this because we are trained to be de- defensive about yes. talking about this. And one of the problems that we have that I've seen is because people don't honestly talk about how they were, you know, they they. They were able to, um, without medication or breaking free of medication, um, lead very productive and, you know, expansive lives or as parents. But that people are helped and healed all the time. And yet our society doesn't talk about that. So the only message that you keep hearing is that there are all these problems out there, problems that will never go away, and you're going to be, you know, in this dire situation for your whole life, and you're just going to have to deal with um, whatever the side effects are. And this is true in in many types of healing and modality, yes. not just of the mind. It's all over our culture, and yet there are stories all over creation that I bet everybody knows in their own families where someone has healed in a way that is, quote, impossible in some ways. And I've and you've probably seen it many times that this does happen and we don't acknowledge it. We don't acknowledge what the true pathway to healing is and the the louder voices or overwhelming 
the softer voices of true healing. Yes, and I have actually two personal stories in response to that. The first one yes. being in response to the autoimmune disorder that I was diagnosed with, that the bones in my feet reabsorbed to the extent that in 2000, when the doctors took x-rays of them, there was so much bone missing that they didn't understand how I was even able to walk into their office. And uh-huh. at that point, I just said, thank you very much. And I walked out, and I've never seen a doctor since because I, I was aware at that time in reference to your earlier question that if I'd let that identification plant itself in my psyche, then I wouldn't be able to continue to heal beyond the, the limitations of physical, uh, what's understood to be physical reality. But the fact of the matter is, is I went from having to use a cane to uh, being able to hike right now. I hike two and a half miles a day. And I'm uh-huh. not on any medication. And I don't yep. know if anything's changed. I do know we can regrow bone. So I'm not beyond suggesting that I've actually been able to do that. And the fact of the matter is I've gotten so wide that I don't care. It doesn't matter to me what the x-rays reveal. What matters to me is what my experience is. And I've proven to myself that given the healing that I've been accessing over the years, that is a very wide uh, um, framework of healing within the field of energy medicine and all the modalities that are inherent there, that I've actually been able to get to a place that defies the physical laws that we are uh, very much conditioned to believe we're limited by. So that's the personal experience beyond that. And in terms of another personal experience that's a little different but speaks to why people are so afraid to challenge the conditioning is that when I began my private practice, I, I created my website and designed it, and on the home page, you'll still find it there, is an essay called Normal. It became the yes. chapter in the book. Now, shortly after I posted my website live, I received a letter from the licensing board in Virginia, and they had me under investigation by a senior investigator because of a formal uh-huh. complaint that was filed against me by UVA Child and Family Psychiatry citing the essay. And the essay states very clearly that we have undergone the largest social experiment in history by medicating these kids. So I completely understand that that people who've not been educated in, in this field to the extent that I have and are parenting, trying desperately to parent and, and meet the needs of their children are really vulnerable to be getting very distorted and inaccurate messages by um, the system that's in place currently that advocates strongly for this because, because they came after me and they tried to take my license away. And the only reason it didn't happen was because I was, a, I was taking myself through this modality that I was creating um, yeah. and, because that's the only way it could ever be credible. And I realized if I defended myself, from the accusation, then I would just reinforce my own imprinting on the subject of being under attack and being vulnerable to not yeah. survive and et cetera, et cetera. 
So what I realized was I have to be very neutral in my response and get beyond the fear. And I realized, you know, I'll still do what I do whether I have my license or not. And I called Mm -hmm. them and I said that I was going to give them my license. And they were so Uh shocked by my response that they said, don't do that. And a week later I got a letter saying the case had been closed. So it was a really profound moment for me in putting this modality and all of all of its tenets and all of it, the thesis involved to into practice so that I could actually see that, you know, it's easy to become activated and fearful in response to what's in the environment that's showing up that feels very threatening. And so on this subject, and we are in a shift, I'm very clear about that, um, it is important for us to find our own sense of courage and empowerment in needing to just be who we are, do what we do, and trust that if we're doing that, then it will all be okay. And so not only is it okay now, and they they taught me, UVA Child and Family Psychiatry, that I was on to something. So not only did I not stop talking about it, I'm now talking about it on the radio. <laughs> yes. You know, and Kate... So, yes, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so, and people... I'm finding are hungry for this information now. I'm empowering people to not be afraid, empowering parents to not be afraid and to let them know there are other means of healing and much more profound and, 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 um, integrous ways of healing than medicating ourselves and our children. Yes. You know, there's so many ways, I can respond to this, Kate, and I have to say that that what I really feel, you know, when they, they when you said you were going to give your license back, what I think is going on, there is. You talk about our defense mechanism. In fact, I'm coming to understand it better talking with you and, and seeing it. It's within all of us, these defense, these defenses that we've built. And what I sense is that the same people who wanted to take away your license know deep down in their hearts and in their beings, they know there's something wrong with the paradigm that they're a part of. They know it. But the social norms require them, these dictates that they feel they must adhere to, the materialistic world, you know, the materialistic paradigm that has become dominant right now in our culture, and it will not stay dominant because they're, you know, the real truth of the matter, and I say that very literally, what matter really is, is emerging, and it's in everybody. So people know, they know that that this really isn't right, but they're part of something that is very hard for them to extract themselves from, is is what I sense. But, But the power of truth and of honesty and of the courage of people like you are going to help reclaim the paradigm because, um, or shift it, because deep within many people feel this way. They just don't want to talk about it. Um, right. And I also, and I, I want to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Respond to No, that. no, no. I'm sorry. You're, you're just no, really, really, um, this is important. Because they're not finding a lot of people, like they're so 
they're so entrenched in the current model of healthcare that is yes. just so, so mind-numbing to me because there's nothing about it that advocates healing. It's about managing symptoms, and it's yes. about billing, and it's about insurance, and it's about, I mean, and, and it's becoming more and more extreme, which is what has to happen before it can shift. That, so there's always this period of destabilization before the shift can, can fully be embodied. It is the beginning yeah. of the shift is destabilization. And that I see on an individual level when I'm working with people, but I'm also seeing it in the collective as the systems that are holding this paradigm in place start to sort of dissolve. Yes, yes. And, you know, the irony, too, is in many cases, is certainly in the United States, it's becoming so expensive um, that people are naturally dropping out of it. They, they just aren't. Right. I mean, I, I'm observing that, that more, that, um, that you know, it's, it's become, that there's certainly a culture within us that it's just people, people aren't necessarily embracing that as, as truth anymore, and, and they're kind of being pushed there sometimes. So it's funny how things shift. <laughs> yes. Yes, it's gotten so well, distorted that even people yeah. who have been lulled to sleep, so to speak, are are starting to notice it. Yeah, it, it's true. It's true. Um, and I just wanted to say one more thing in response to the healing comma. I am happy to say that I have personally witnessed or am aware of personally situations where people have recovered from things that are fatal, absolutely yes. fatal. Um, and cancer, you know, stage four. I have a friend who got up and walked from stage four spinal cancer. I mean, the list yep. goes on and on. Even part of my own awakening experience involved something disappearing that they went yep. looking for, and it was gone. I've seen that many times, um, and I, I would bet that people out there listening, if they really think about it, know this has happened to them too. Um, or people they know. And that's how we begin to reclaim what's actual reality, what is actually happening. So, so I want to, I want to, I'm, I'm so enjoying talking to you, Kate. Um, I, I want to be able to address some more of, of what you explore within your book. And, and one, one area I wanted to talk about with you, and this has come up on this show before, the shadow. Can you talk a little ah. bit about the shadow, which is very important for us to understand? So from the widest perspective, I would start with identifying that at the moment we become physical, we experience an inherent split from where we came from that I refer to as who we were prior to becoming physical. We were connected to source energy. And anybody and everybody out there can identify for themselves what that, how that is represented, um, God being one of the most common terms. And so at that point, we all have an inherent split that we're carrying within us. And the split is the condition that allows for there to be a shadow. And given 
everything that we have experienced, and for anybody out there that believes in um, past lives, we also bring in memory from there that is also can become part of the shadow aspect of who we are. But from the moment of conception, depending on what's going on in the environment and messages and experiences that we start to have that negate us, and I use that term very consciously because it's in the experience of negation that we start to split off more and more from ourselves and we start to take in at a very deep unconscious level that there's something inherently wrong with us. And it often, these projections that we experience in our environments are very shame-based and they're very shame-based and they're very, um, they, they end up being projected onto us through different types of uh, cultural vehicles, a lot of dogma shames us. Uh, the academic environment shames us when we're not performing up to other people's expectations. Um, I believe the United States is the most repressed, sexually repressed country in the world, and people challenge me on that. But in other countries in which there is repression, they don't pretend it's not happening which is why I named this one the most repressed, because while it's the most repressed, we are also pretending that's not the case. So, so that really um, distorts things in a way um, that are far more toxic and far more difficult to climb out from under because there's what's happening and there's the script that negates what's happening that we, we have to align with in order to survive our environment. So, with all of these aspects of us that end up being suppressed, they end up becoming part of the shadow aspect of who we are that represents our own internal limiting beliefs about ourselves and our own self-loathing and our own self-denial. And so that is exactly what we need to be bringing out into the light. As I work with people, we need to be naming it, taking the charge out of it, bringing it to light what the actual beliefs are that we're caring about ourselves that get in the way of us having this experience of self-actualization and healing. And so the more we speak to it and the more we name it, um, the more these imprints that we're carrying at the cellular level dissolve. And for myself, what I've included in the chapter on the shadow self is this beautiful um, poetic, that comes from a Hawaiian trilogy. And when I first read it, I wept and my cells responded at such depth that I had never experienced myself that I understood in just reading this how profoundly healing it is because it's activating the memory, the actual memory that we're carrying that says that all of these things are actually true. And so when we can start to name these things and bring them to light, then we blow the charge off them. And in doing that, we dissolve the imprints, the memories that say that it's true. And then those aspects of us that have split off, that become part of this shadow self, then start to become integrated. In the clinical world, we refer to it as integration. In the shamanic world, we refer to it as soul retrieval. And they're both the same, and I do it. And I do it with the people that I sit with. Yes, I'm sure many people have heard of soul retrieval, and um, 
I, I don't know that I've ever heard it explained so clearly, Kate. <laughs> Thank you for that because, well, I, it's true. I mean, I think that. Well, I wish um, you were standing next to me at the moment that I was walking through the first office that I occupied in my private practice. And I get yes. a lot of my ahas as I'm just walking through my space. And all of a sudden, I understood that, that soul retrieval and integrating aspects that have been split off in response to trauma is the exact yes. same thing. I was just like, yes. oh, my God. So wow. Again, then that <laughs> yes. an That's like an aha moment for sure. It was a huge aha because even yes. what that actually reflected for me personally was that I – you know, I had my shamanic persona, and then I had my clinical persona, and that in itself created a split within me until it wasn't. And that moment was a big moment in allowing me to integrate that split. It's like, okay, it really doesn't matter what I'm calling myself. The fact of the matter is I'm doing the same thing regardless of whether I'm wearing the shaman hat or the clinical hat. And that was amazing in terms of uh, getting beyond the duality of my own personal experience. Yes, yes. Oh, my goodness, Kate. We need more of you, (laughs) which I think is why you're training. I mean, your book is not just for those seeking help, but you're really training people to to be to 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 work in this modality as well to work in this modality that's why it's written the way it is i have 16 year old clients reading this book and totally uh-huh. getting it and uh-huh. it, you know when you look at it and you hold it it looks a little daunting cuz you know you're holding you know a book written by a clinician and there's 300 right. and something pages but there's lots of spaces between the paragraph and the word and the font is big and it's an, it turns out the one, I get a number of reflections back about it, but the initial one is people's absolute delight and surprise at how easy it is to read and yes. how understandable yes, it's not a it is. It's, I, <laughs> no, I've made it completely accessible for anybody that's interested in healing and becoming more yes. aware of themselves and their experience and want to be empowered in determining what that experience looks like. And it turns out that there's two more books coming. This is the first of a trilogy. The other two are much smaller. The second one is called Getting Beyond the Imprint, and it's the actual didactic manual that will literally take people step-by-step through the process. And the third book, and that will be published by the end of 2018, and the third book provides the spiritual framework for for everything. If you want to go Wonderful. that wide, it talks, yeah, it talks about this within the spiritual framework. And it will be out no later than the end of 2019. But how fast this stuff is coming through me right now, I wouldn't be surprised if they were both out by the end of 2018. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Isn't that amazing how when, when you have something to share that that people need to hear, it certainly comes. I, I think that's... That's been an experience of many of the the authors have been who have been on this show. They often talk of that. Um, Kate, I want to talk. I know this hour is going by very fast, and and so there are a couple topics I want to get to before we're done. And sure. one is so important in our society right now, and it's been in the news, and it's all over our communities. I mean, it's a big deal. Is addiction, um, addiction, and and substance abuse. 
Um, you know, we hear of the opioid epidemic. In fact, a, a few minutes ago, I think before this show, the number one show on Blog Talk Radio was about just that. And and now we're number three, by the way, on the live shows. Thank you, Blog Talk Radio, for surfacing us. Um, but obviously, this topic has our attention because it's impacting people personally in communities all over the United States and in the world. So can we talk a little bit about addiction and, um, you know, how how we can find pathways to healing? Well, it's it's a big subject, and it was a big subject before this recent opioid crisis. Um, I will start by naming that we are all vulnerable to manifest something. Um, What we manifest will be determined by what we're genetically predisposed to manifesting. And then given the degree of stressors that we experience over time will be what determines whether we manifest anything at all. So for me, I came through two Irish lineages, the McGowans and the O'Connells, and substance abuse was a big part of uh, what I expressed in response to uh, stressors that I was exposed to. And, yeah. um, and so I can speak to it personally in terms of, um, you know, uh, how to get beyond it and the understanding of the need to rebalance the brain chemistry and support the physical body has to be an integral part of healing substance abuse because in the use of whatever substance it is we're using, we are compromising our neurotransmitters. And so we need to be consciously supplementing amino acid therapies, amino acids, which are the building blocks of life specific to which transmitter. And I have a chart in the book that describes, given what the drug of choice is, which amino acids we need to be taking, and, and we need to be supporting the body physically. And so a whole lot of what I do with folks and substance abuse, I sit with a lot, particularly with uh, young adults and adolescents, is to, is to help them support the brain and the body before we go any further. Because until we do that, it's kind of like, you know, shouting into the wind, there's very little that we can do in terms of the healing part of it. But that's key. That's a key piece. Um, as far as how to prevent it, that's systemic and cultural, and it's, and it's very challenging. I mean, you know, I'll just throw out that 67% of adolescents between the age of 12 and 18 are given an opiate in response to a tooth extraction. Uh-huh. So. We hear over and over and over people becoming addicted to opiates as a result of pain medications that they were given after either dental work or minor surgery or even major surgery. Um, I think it was in 2015, I think we had 255 million prescriptions in this country written for opiates. So it's... It's a big problem that I was excited about the fact that we had revealed the source of it and where the focus needed to be within the last couple of months when 60 Minutes working in tandem with the New York Times, and I'm going to apologize, it was either the Times or the Washington Post, um, Uh broke 
a huge story in which it was revealed that the DEA, run by the Justice Department, which is in charge of ensuring that, you know, we don't get an influx of opiates being sent to questionable clinics and questionable doctors who are making millions of dollars prescribing these to people. Um, the, the federal agency that's responsible for ensuring that doesn't happen um, because of what they essentially did was they identified that there were three distributors, three large corporations that were distributing these opiates. And they wanted to control their ability to do that. But what happened was because these large corporations were able to lobby the government, um, they actually lobbied three congressmen and they actually got legislation passed that resulted in the DEA not being able to do anything with these distributors. And so a, a, a town called Kermit, West Virginia, that had something like 540 people living in it, had 9 million tablets of Oxycontin wow. shipped to it over a period of two years by one of these distributors. And as long as that's allowed to happen, it's going to be impossible to stop this crisis. I don't care what people are talking about in all of their committees, in all of their self, you know, whatever they're doing at whatever level of government is not going to even begin to put a dent on this until somehow we can make these three distributors accountable for what they're doing. They're making billions of dollars off of people and we're losing lots of lives in this country because of it. Yes, yes. It, it is, I mean, when we speak of it as, as a crisis, I, 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 I always hesitate to use that word because it, it defines us, but um, it's certainly something I, that is in shift. It is, it is shifting because of our awareness. I think, because um, finally it's surfacing to our awareness. But I think it's going to shift in ways we don't expect from the materialistic perspective. Um, yeah. I think that, that um, it's time for a different kind of lasting healing to emerge here. And, and um, you know, I th- this show has gone by very quickly and we've got about five minutes left and I just um, I wanted to give you the opportunity Kate to very briefly because I know this is a whole area in your book that we just haven't been able to explore completely there's many areas this is a this book it's not a textbook but it has a lot to it it has a great deal of depth and and to help you to launch into how you can help people uh, maybe that's the best question is how, you know, what, how can you help people? How can people out there know that, hey, this can help me, this really can help, or this can help our, our family? Um, and, and then how can, and what can they do then um, when they feel that they see that, that how this can help? Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind in response to that is, it is would be most helpful if people read the book. Yeah, and that's I know that's, that sounds yeah. like I'm using this as a marketing tool, but no, in no, response to your question, 
if I knew of anybody else that was talking about this stuff in the way that I was talking about it, then I'd be referring them to their books as well. But because, yeah. I mean, I am, I am incredibly in awe of the fact that this modality came through me because that's what it did and that I had enough awareness through my noticing of what wasn't working uh, as I was in the trenches working with demographics that were incredibly vulnerable and at risk and, and not feeling very credible in terms of what, as I represented these agencies, what we were asking them to do, um, that in just noticing what wasn't working, I came to understand what actually could work. And one of the reasons that it's so difficult uh, for anyone to navigate this is we, because we've made it very complicated. So I'm very yeah. grateful for the fact that my most significant clinical training was in family systems therapy, which taught me to just pay attention to patterns. And so as I started to pay attention to patterns and I noticed that, in, that I was able through this creating this modality to take the complexity out of the human experience. It's not as complicated as everybody makes it out to be, the experts that represent all of these health systems. It's not complicated at all. When you understand what it is you've been at the effect of your whole entire life, then there becomes this very clear path of how to get beyond your imprinting and how to become more conscious aware of what it is you've been at the effect of unconsciously and then consciously choose to have very different experiences and therefore very different quality of relationships and therefore very different styles of parenting. And it's a profound, it's a profound journey, and this modality does facilitate it. So I had the opportunity over the weekend to speak to a small group of people about this who were... It was a group of people who had been studying non-duality for many, many years. And then I had this awareness in speaking to them that I somehow brought something to it that they had not considered before. And the more I speak about this, the more I realize I just need to talk to more and more people about this. And the more I teach people about this, then the more we're all going to wake up to what it is we've unconsciously been at the effect of without even realizing it. So the book is the best place to start until I can get on a big stage like a TED Talk, which I do see realistically in my future, until I can Uh get out there and start talking about it in the way that um, Brene Brown is speaking and, and all of these other experts in their field are speaking that are bringing a whole new sort of window and a whole new paradigm to how we can think about our experience then the best way people can access this is through the book. You know, often a simple answer is exactly the right one, Kate. And um, <laughs> I I so want to thank you. Um, we're racing towards the end of the, the broadcast here. Thank you so much for being here. I, I have really appreciated the flow of this conversation. And I'm looking forward to the rest of the trilogy. I want to remind people the book is... Beyond the Imprint, um, there's a link on the page for you to, to access that, as well as Kate's website, which is um, O'ConnellKate.com. And thank you from my heart for being here today, Kate. 
Oh, thank you so much. It was so much fun to talk about this. As you can tell, I'm very passionate. And I'm going to do one quick plug. This modality is so much bigger than me that I actually founded a nonprofit called the Healing Alliance of Central Virginia. And that's H-A-C-V-A dot org. And from there you can see how I'm beginning to implement all of this so that I can reach larger audiences. I want to get into the schools. I want us to just start teaching anybody and everybody that is interested in this is how to bring this into their experience of working with other people so that we can get beyond our imprinting. Yes, yes. Well, thank you again, Kate. We're in overtime now, by the way, and, and we've got <laughs> listeners across time who've been listening to us. I always acknowledge them because they're here with us and have yes. been um, because I know the vast majority of people listen um, to the podcast that that you have in your hands if you're hearing us right now, <laughs> those of you out yes, there. Yes, thank you so much uh, for that. But, much gratitude for all of that as well. Yes. Yeah, so so again, Kate, um, I do look forward to to seeing how this develops for you, and and I hope to see you speaking in more venues and and in in throughout the world because there's there's much to what what you are sharing here and and it's a simple message in many ways and yet um it, it's something we need to hear um, there is much yes. to it so so thank you so much again for being here thank today you. yes you take All care right. thank well, you. take care okay thank you. Um, just a note um to those of you who now are listening in the podcast, but it's been out there a while, and we've announced before that the next show this week is Thursday, December 7th at 1 p.m. Pacific. We have Jeff Nixta, The Lost Art of Heart Navigation. And let me put out there for those of you, um, you can always know the schedule for this show, which is published in advance on FrontierBeyondFear.com, and I encourage you to follow the show on Blog Talk Radio. Um, you have to get a login to do this, and I know sometimes people are hesitant to do that, but I encourage you to do so. It's a very simple step, and it's very non-intrusive, and then you'll get email. Um, I've been sending out personal emails after every show talking about the broadcast, but um, it's something followers get free. You just have to sign up. It's right there on the page. Thank you, everyone. Um, I I enjoyed this time together today. I think that we explored something very important that's going to help all of us. So, so thank you again, and I will see you next time. Mm-hmm.